Hey guys, we're back with another director spotlight for Find Your Film. With with this special segments we do twice a month for Find Your Film, we spotlight spotlight a filmmaker. We do a rotating round robin rotating thing of where me, Bruce, and Eric we each pick different filmmakers we love. Our last one was sort of a a nice extended birthday present where we were able to spotlight the master of suspense or the master of suspense junior. Brian De Palma, that was the last one. And then before that, we spotlighted Bruce Perky, went all in on Satoshi Khan, that late, amazing filmmaker. That Thank you, Bruce Perky, for bringing the world of Satoshi Khan into our purview. And now, Eric Holmes, a.k.a. Eric Mamet. By the way, if you're looking at Bruce Perky's uh, YouTube channel, Rusto Meyer, he's the one who actually holds all our video podcasts for Find Your Film on his channel on Rusto Meyer. I'm reading off the names we've get, given ourselves. I've given myself the name Wag the Srizavasti, and that is a that is a nod, obviously, to Wag the Dog, the 1997 film. By the way, folks, Bruce, Eric, I actually saw Wag the Dog, directed by Barry Levinson, at a screening in New Line, Beverly Hills, back in the day. As I just name continue to name drop, like a you know what, I ended up really not liking that movie the first time I saw it. I just guess I was. Bad time, bad place for me. Obviously, that movie is quite the quite the classic. I changed my mind on Wag the Dog after that screening. Now we also have Glenn Perky, Glenn Bruce, Bruce Perky. That's a nod to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Obviously, we're not covering that as well. But you know, there's so many things. Bruce, is that one of your favorite mammoth things? Uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Is that is that an homage to one of your favorite pieces from Mammoth? I mean, it's it's kind of a given. Everyone sort of sort of loves that one it's it's definitely one of the better ones for sure okay but yeah, i just I thought just, it would sound good with my name thrown into it <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's hey that's superficial but it's catchy and i like it i love it that's me now, super official but catchy <laughs> <laughs> but you know what mammoth is we're gonna get to mammoth's catchiness as a writer in this episode i'm sure and then sometimes you you, you know you do wag this reservoir you do glenn perky glenn Bruce. sometimes you really got to stick to the aesthetic of david mammoth which is pure simple cuts to the bone and clean Eric Holmes decided to not have too much of a flourish. He just decided to go with Eric Mamet. Why not? Eric Holmes, Eric, why not just say Eric Mamet? Already so, did it. Eric Sorkin. So why not? Yes. Yes. <laughs> our last episode when we, when we all reviewed the trial of the Chicago seven, a movie, all of us loved, especially Eric Holmes really, really loved that movie. He called himself Eric Sorkin, which was uh, I, the reason why it's, it's hard to actually pronounce is not because uh, Eric Holmes is uh, Eric Holmes is a very good writer. I, I, we both read a script, Bruce, quite, quite the writer. You agree? Can we both cons- I agree. co-sign on that? Yeah. But mm-hmm. I do not agree in the, the, the next, next, next week, Eric might call himself <laughs> Eric Presley, Eric Washington. Eric- I think we're going to do, I think we're going to do a, a cars ret- retrospective and he'll be Eric Kasich. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Nice, nice, nice. Now, Eric Mamet, Eric Holmes, you know, you only get one. I mean, we got to be very selective over the filmmakers we want to spotlight because we basically have one one choice every, what, six weeks to to make it. So why was David Mamet such the choice for you this week? Why was he an important person for you to spotlight? Other, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one, uh, I knew the, the Aaron, we'd be talking about Aaron Sorkin coming up just because the trial of Chicago 7 was coming up. And when you think of good writers, you think of Aaron Sorkin, you think of Quentin Tarantino, and you think of David Mamet, you know. And one of the things I like about David Mamet, I, actually one of the things I love about David Mamet is that he's really matter-of-fact as far as giving advice on writing He's very matter of fact, it's, this is just what you do. Do this, this, and this. It's not that hard. And he tries to, uh, I don't know, take the mystery out of it. And it, it shows in his writing and definitely his directing as well. And, you know, sometimes that works to his advantage. Sometimes maybe not so much. But I do like the idea that, so, you know, you can have a writer as great as David Mamet and, his uh his best advice is look i'm just a you know i'm just a clown and i can do this and i've written shit and i've written great stuff but 
I've written great stuff because I've written shit in the past and you just keep doing it and keep doing it. It's uh, like working a muscle. Actually, Harlan Ellison kind of had that same, mm. uh, same outlook on writing. It's, it's, it's a job. It's a muscle your work. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. I think a lot of people, they uh, mystify writing or just art in general. They mystify it. And they're like, oh, the first thing I got to come out has to be a masterpiece. And a lot of times people get paralyzed doing that. And David Mamet's one of the few people that says, knock it off. Just write the thing. Maybe it sucks. Who cares? If it sucks, write another one. Maybe that one will be a little better. Does that one suck too? Fuck you. Keep writing. Do another one, so on and so forth. And uh, he's just really inspiring to me. And I think people, especially like going, um, you know, reading his uh, scripts, and listening to his dialogue and listening to interviews with him, you can learn a lot. And it, uh, you know, a lot of it's practical advice. It's stuff that you can actually take home with you and put into work to becoming at the very least a writer, you know, maybe not a great one, but you know, it, at least you get the creative juices flowing. Well, you want to ultimately direct your movie. You're thinking about directing your, you have the plan set for it. Were you always, a director first or or did you always love David Mamet when you were maybe in your 20s or your teens or did that whole love for Mamet surface because you were a film you wanted you were into film and then the writing part grew out of that no um <laughs> uh the first thing I directed was uh, called Lick the Evil and it was uh oh, yes <laughs> me and, me and some friends getting drunk one weekend it's like fuck it we got a camera we don't have a script. Doesn't matter. Let's do this. <laughs> and, you know, it turned out fun. But I, I mean, that's, I found out, you know, same with Aaron Sorkin. I knew of David Mamet's work before I knew of David Mamet. And just, you know, listening to interviews and stuff with him, just hearing his, you know, I don't know if laissez-faire is the right word because I don't know what it means. Here I go using words. I don't know what it means. That's how great of a writer I am. <laughs> well, Bruce, you're the smart one. Do you know what, uh, Laissez-faire means? Uh, I have to look it up. I don't know. I think know. it means leave it as is. Laissez-faire. Yeah. Okay, then I'd, I'd probably use it correctly, sort of. Uh, but yeah, he, he just had to just do the thing, you know? And that's that's kind of that's kind of where I started, just do the thing. And um, I forget what the original question was, but yeah. I don't aspire to be David Mamet, but I took a lot from him. Not just in writing, but just creative uh creative endeavors in general whether it's uh drawing painting uh music whatever it is just the more you do it the better you get at it and if it turns out you like it keep doing it and if it turns out you don't like it and it's a headache then quit because it's not for you you know laissez-faire definition a policy or attitude of letting things take their own course without interfering there you go. I accidentally used the word I didn't know right. <laughs> <laughs> so that is laissez-faire. Now, Bruce, you've been a Mamet guy since from the get-go. You and I, we're, um, we're around the same age, the 80s. So we experienced, I, I guess, House of Games and maybe in the early 90s, Homicide, mm-hmm. all that, or even Speed the Plow in the plays. We're, we're, yeah, we're, I think that he's one of those guys that's always kind of snuck through. And I, I mentioned this time and again, but one of those people where – you encounter his work, but don't necessarily know that it was his work until either after the fact. I mean, some things you hear about it. Like, I think, I feel like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross was probably the first one where it really got hit me that that was the same guy. But I know I had seen House of Games when it came out because I used to love uh, Siskel and Ebert and they really championed that movie when it came out. But I don't think I connected the person and then later on, I think we all that read Oleana. And, you know, from then on, there's been a bunch of things that have come across, you know, in and out throughout my life. There's been a mammoth here and a mammoth there, here, there, mammoth everywhere, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. And that's kind of the, it kind of goes to Eric's point is that he's kind of, um, he's, he's a workman, you know? And he, and he, the attitude of art is for everybody and he just keeps producing art and it isn't always, you know, him directing It's sometimes it's him writing or directing, or it's a play or it's a movie or it's a TV episode. So he just kind of does the work, I guess is what I would say. And I, I did a little Eric Mamet. I, I did a little research for, for this podcast. I did a little bit a smidge, just a smidge. 
I, on my one of my morning walks, I listened to this podcast called Kick-Ass News Podcast. And it was a one-on-one with David Mamet for about 30, 35 minutes. And they asked him a question. The, the interviewer asked Mamet a question about him being such a prolific writer and artist. And he was basically gushing over David Mamet. Like probably if any of us interviewed him, we'd probably be saying gushing as well at his. I, I, I would not. I know he'd yell at me if I did that. <laughs> well, you would not because you actually took his, his last name, Eric. So there's a oh, lack okay. of <laughs> lack of humble modesty in the, <laughs> just kidding. But <laughs> yeah. So then you probably, you probably come up with the best interview uh, because I'd be gushing, gushing a lot. But when the interview asked him, how did you, you know, how, what's the key to that? You're, you're so, you're amazing and doing all this stuff. And he said, well, you know, my daughters, my kids wouldn't think the same way because when we had that house in Vermont, he had a cabin, right? Right. Like a little shed or cabin in his, near his house that he would go to every morning to write. So most of us would say, if we don't know Mamet, he's not a family member. He'd say, oh, there's, there's David Mamet going in at early in the morning to do eight to 10 hours a day of work. What, a, what an amazing guy. But his kids, they always said whenever he went to the cabin, they used to basically just call him, oh, well, it's, now dad's going there to, he's, he's going to nap. He's just going to nap. So, you know, we think of him as this prodigious writer. But you know what, Eric, like you were saying, it's just about doing the work. It's a day-to-day basis. And sometimes there's work. A lot of times there's napping involved, even with David Mamet. And ultimately, if you stick with it, like you're doing a lot of things, the writer's group, and, and you're, you're actually encouraging us to write as well, is ultimately you're going to just, just by default, if you put in work every day, you're going to come up with a big volume of work no matter what. So I, f- I find that to be, to be really interesting about Mamet. Now, this episode, we're not just going to be talking about Mamet as a writer, Eric, instructed me and Bruce that we, we want to focus in on David Mamet as a writer and a director. My first thing to you, Eric, do you consider David Mamet to be a grade A director? That's my first point of question to you. Well, that's, that's a, I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's it. That that's the easy question. Um, He's definitely like, what I like about his writing is that the um, there's not too much flourish in it. There's a little, you know, there's a little bit of writerly stuff here and there. Uh, but for the most part, um, you know, he writes the stutters and the pauses and the stammers and so much, so on and so forth of the characters. Um, I feel like I'm reading one of his scripts right now because I'm doing quite a bit about myself. <laughs> but uh, he has a good sense of how people sound when they talk and i think a lot of that is just matter of fact like well this is how people talk so that's how i'm going to write it you know if they say something this is how they're going to say it so that's how i'm going to write it down and i think he has a very matter of fact kind of take on his directing and again i don't have an answer for it just yet and i'm hoping that's kind of what we can talk about i get the sense that if someone else takes the scripts they might be able to uh breathe a little more life in it than he's willing to put in as far as being a director. Does that make okay. sense? Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, Cause it's like you have a uh, house of games, which is a really good movie and it's just kind of uh well, th- this is what they're saying. Say the words, the camera's going sti- to sit here and you're going to say the words. Okay. You said the words. Now we're going to move the camera here. Okay. Say the words, you know, so on and so forth. And it's really clinical, I guess. And there's not uh, you know, back to Aaron Sorkin with the uh, trial of Chicago seven, it just moves like, you know, his, his scripts are typically lively and the direction is lively as well. It, he adds life beyond what's on the page. And I don't definitely not in a uh, house of games. I don't think it, I don't think he breathes the life into it as a director, probably because of his, he'd probably kick my ass for saying this, but I, he, he's, he, he doesn't have, he can't instill the art into what he's doing. Everything's mm-hmm. still matter of fact and still cold. Although then you get to something like a uh, state and Maine or red belt, which we'll also talk about. We all saw, you know, as he grew as, or as he kept directing, I think Red Belt's probably, uh, as far as the ones he directed, I think that one's my favorite because that one has the more, that one feels like the movie's breathing. It feels like it has life to it and much less cold than House of Games is. And 
I keep trying not to say House of Cards, so if I say that, just assume that I said House of Games. So we'll just get that out of the way. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's uh, I definitely feel growth in him as a director throughout the years. Um, but as a natural director, maybe not. He's better served as an actor. And unlike Aaron Sorkin, where uh, with Molly's Game and Trial of Chicago 7, I got excited to see... Uh, Aaron Sorkin direct his own scripts moving forward with David Mamet. Um, it, look, if he writes a script and he directs it, I'm, I'm there opening day. I'm going to watch it, but I might be more uh, excited if say someone like Brian De Palma or David Fincher were to direct that David Mamet script. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, Bruce, is there something to be said? Eric was saying about matter of fact approach to directing, even though Eric, adds on that his visual language has improved over the years. Is there a plus to saying that sometimes, you know, with Mamet, sometimes he can be a, when it comes to directing, it's, it's a, a matter of fact style. Is there something that could be said for it? Or are you on that train where like, maybe, you know, I think it would depend on the script. I think some scripts would lend themselves to that, but if he might default to that kind of as his default setting, whereas I, I kind of see what Eric is saying in that almost like, um, it's almost like a piece of like a song or a piece of music, like the writer writes the piece of music or the song, but you're really interested in seeing how different people interpret it. And I think a more stylistic visionary director with some of the, some of the scripts might do something really interesting. And you get that kind of, uh, you get a really interesting juxtaposition of the two kind of styles meshing, which I think could be very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think might be more, a little more exciting in some of these um, stories than possibly what uh, Mamet brings as a director. Although it'd be interesting when we talk about these, I, we should kind of get into the two movies because I kind of feel like he's sort of more stylish in House of Games Very for cool. my eye than he is in Red Belt. But oh, that's my take. I love I that. Know. Okay, well, let's get into it. Let's get into it. First off, we are spotlighting House of Games. These are choices by... Eric Holmes, Eric Mamet, House of Games, 1987, and Red Belt. I forgot what year. I think that's a 2008 release. We'll get to get to Red Belt in a little. Okay, Red Belt's 2008. But first, um, yeah, House of Games, 1987. And here's the, the main plot synopsis. A psychiatrist comes to the aid of a compulsive gambler and is led by a smooth-talking grifter into the shadowy but compelling world of stings, scams, and con men. Written and directed by David Mamet. Now, Lindsay Krauss plays Margaret Ford. She is a psychiatrist at the time of the movie's release. She was married to David Mamet, so very close collaboration. Joe Montagna is Mike, the grifter she meets along the way. Margaret Ford, we have to know, she's a psychiatrist who, we, when we're introduced to her, she is at the top of her game. She's a little bit too conceited for her own good and self-assured. She has, she's signing her book, her just released book, people <laughs> love her, everything is good. So when she stumbles into this world of con men and grifters, she thinks she's able to handle them because she knows the mind of the human being. And she wants to delve deeper into the recesses of that mind, specifically into the mind and inner workings of Mike, again played by Joe Montagna. The movie also features performances by J.T. Walsh, the late J.T. Walsh, who's always great. He plays this person named The Businessman. We miss J.T. Walsh so much. And also yeah. David Mamet, regular, and we miss Ricky J., Ricky J. so much as well. He plays, quote, George. And I'm, not, I'm just going to say he plays George. So if you know anything about Ricky J. and what he brings to the table as a sort of a person who's a lot of, lot of layers, a lot of sleight of hand stuff with... Ricky J, I'm not just talking about the hands or, or card tricks or illusions. He's just a very masterful trickster type of an actor. And, and his voice is amazing. He's just amazing. So, yeah. Bruce Perky. Well, first mm-hmm. of all, Eric Holmes, why did you pick House of Games? Was it because it's probably a signature mammoth release? Or you just... Well, there, there was a couple. The, the obvious reason is House of Games is the first movie directed. And uh, Red Belt is the last one. So it kind of similar to what I did with Lone Freak, and it kind of inherently gives you a arc, a full arc of being in, in of what they've done. Grant, he's he's done TV movies before, and so and so on and so forth. But yeah. talking about like uh, feature length movies, 
Um, but yeah, it, it just seemed like a, a good good comparison of the two. Here's what he did first. Here's where he was then, and here's where he is now. And also, I, I think um, Red Belt. I, I don't think many people have seen House of Games and Red Belt. I'm pretty sure a lot of people haven't seen that either. I love Red Belt. I've seen it a bunch, but I don't get the sense that either one of those two movies are really well known. Well, Eric, you you just you just showed your cards. And you, it's a, you played a bad hand right there because you're just talking to a couple <laughs> a of old, of old, <laughs> tell. old men. Tell. Bruce is Bruce. I'm going to say he, he's an old man, and I'm an old man. We are around the same age. Yeah, we do remember House of Games mm-hmm. very, very well because you know what? To your point, Eric, it was not probably seen by the mass audience, but. I remember House of Games. I don't know if you remember this, mm-hmm. Bruce, but it was really so well-loved and received. Siskel and Ebert reviewed. I remember Siskel and Ebert reviewing House of Games when it came out. And the fact that it had all of those things with the tricksters, the cons, the double cross, all of these twists and turns. It was a very popular film among the indie circuit. Now, yeah. Yeah. Bruce, I, I like what you were saying. You were saying this you felt was even more stylized than than red belt and you're you're i think you're assuming that it's you're you're saying more, more stylized stylized not even in the fact of the dialogue you're talking about the way he set up the shots or maybe the way it's edited yeah, yeah talk, talk to us about that that's i mean i think that's uh, maybe that's just because uh the nature of the story because this is much more twisty and noiry i mean it's it's almost a uh, neo-noir in some ways the way it kind of plays out you know, kind of the everyday person kind of going into this more of an underworld. But I mean, I think that the way he, I mean, there's some really obvious shots like going up for the first time to the place and there's the smoke coming out of the, you know, the manhole covers and, and all that kind of neon and the, the, the back door with the stuff written on it that says, you know, house of games or whatever it said on there and all those kind of little touches. I think that's pretty stylized, you know, it's not, it's more stylized than you might expect. I think, and I think that it it kind of dates it, but in a good way, I think it kind of feels you get a, there's definitely eighties edge to it that, that kind of works there as well. Um, we also assume that in 1987, this is the movie that the most people, the most characters ever smoked. There's like how many characters. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and also to your point the if you were in to any movies or weird like movies, or, or you're kind of really into the cinema scene at the time, this was definitely on your radar. This is kind of like a few years later, if you were in the scene, everyone heard about Reservoir Dogs. You know, you heard about it. Now, I agree. Uh, there's a lot of people probably who have never come across House of Games. And some of it, I think, will work and some of it won't work for them. And we can kind of talk about what might or might not in kind of the 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 way it unfolds. Well, I, I want to ask you, what, what do you think doesn't work and eric do you agree with that there's things about this 1987 film that won't work but i'd like to hear what you think doesn't work first bruce about this i I think the hardest thing for people is going to be some of the uh, so here's what i think what crackles in this movie consistently is every time there's some sort of a con going on and there's which is a good chunk of the movie right um those scenes are fantastic no matter what but the scenes, especially early on, some of the psychiatrist scenes and some of the scenes with her are pretty, to me, they're a little bit talky and stagey and not, they don't seem very naturalistic. And I could see people kind of going like, oh, what is this movie, you know? And then once you get into the bar and she gets drawn into the card room, you're off to the races. I think you're good to go. Yeah, it, it's a straight, it's a straight, straight noir for me. I loved everything about this movie and it's extremely stylized and... Mm-hmm. It's hard to, you know, it's like reading a short story from Ernest Hemingway. It just, the dialogue seems so simple when you read a Hemingway story, but go try to re, go try to write a short story on the same level of Ernest Hemingway. The same thing with Mammoth Speak in House of Games. You go, wow, the way they talk, so clipped, just yeah. like this <laughs> yeah. over there. Who are you? I don't know. And, but the way Mammoth does it, is so effective and stylized and strictly mammoth. I loved everything about this movie. Eric, did you see anything that maybe a lot of people may jump off of, you know, may not appeal to uh, as far as this film? Or do you think uh, it's an all? Yeah. One thing that sticks out for me, 
And actually, uh, Red Belt has this too. Actually, a lot of his movies do. There's certain bits of dialogue that he writes that I know when he writes it, it makes sense, but it doesn't always come out right when the actors are doing it. They'll repeat themselves, repeat themselves. Mm -hmm. Greg, I'm repeating myself. (laughs) And like, if you understand, if you can read it on the page and you can understand the flow of what he's going for, it'll sound great. But a lot of times, I don't think they, I don't think the uh, the actors really perform certain bits of dialogue the way they're supposed to, and I guess that that's what I mean by cold. Um, mm-hmm. Not so much, not so much that it's not stylized, but it's, it's just cold. It's they said the words, that's the words that were on the page, and they said it, and now we're going to move on. Whereas I think if uh, say you got a um, Stuart Gordon with Edmund. Um, mm. I didn't really notice that problem. I noticed a little bit of it in Glengarry Glenn Ross, uh, the, uh, the line, uh, make your decision for Christ. You know, Alec Baldwin's great, but that, that line comes off a little weird. Probably because that, that would probably be a good example of where I think Alec Baldwin could have used a line reading there because I don't think he understood the cadence in which he wrote that. Sure. And so it just sounds weird, but like uh, Stuart Gordon's uh, when he did Edmund, that's a good example because uh, uh, Edmund and House of Games has a lot in common as far as setting and tone. Um, but where uh, House of Games is a really good story, you know, really good dialogue, really good twists and turns. Um, but Edmund has just as good, you know, story, just as good dialogue. But there's more moments in there that. I can grasp onto and remember as opposed to house of games. The, th- the stuff I remember in house of games is not so much the, the style or what sings about the movie. It's more of um, the dialogue going back and forth, like when they're at the poker table or so on and so forth. I agreed. 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 Let me suggest this real quick. Uh, what I would think, what I think would be interesting and this is rewriting it a little bit, but so we're talking about how it's so noir and, and, kind of that dialogue and the situations and everything, but she doesn't start out in that world. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like a, a um, it's not like a Dashiell Hammett story where the femme fatale walks in and she's like, Hey, you know, so, you know, she's already in that world. She's out of that world. So I almost wish we could have seen her performance and her writing differentiated from that a little bit, like have her be super naturalistic and super different from that. So that as she gets into that world, it contrasts and then you see her because it's her story in a lot of ways. Right. I mean, that's the point of this movie is what happens and how her character evolves and to see her get to the point she gets to at the end, obviously we're not going to spoil it. You could see her dialogue and her way of talking change with that. That would have been really interesting as opposed to just kind of being the same all the way through. You know, it's so funny about you said that Bruce Okay, going back to the podcast, that is a great, I think that's a really interesting take on that story. And you mentioned Dashiell Hammett. <laughs> it's, it's funny, probably I'm thinking what Mamet would say to you to that, if, if you actually had a drink with him and, and talked to, talk to him yeah. about that. Probably, so you write your own, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You'd probably show, show the Pulitzer, a little picture of his Pulitzer. Yeah, I'm sure, of, you know, he'd have a right? point there, but. But whatever. you know what? In the podcast, he, he mentioned the, the writer who is uh, the podcast host who's gushing over me goes, what kind of writers did you love? You must've loved Hammett. And he said, you know, I tried reading Hammett, never got into him. I was more of a Raymond Chandler guy. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was right on that train with you with, with uh, Hammett, by the way, is very hard to read, but um, very good, very good pull on that. So I wanted to use that as well. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I really love, this, I, I felt this movie had a lot of style to it. I will say this, though. I know you guys were waiting for me to mention The Untouchables. And, okay, thank you for, for, thank you for letting me mention. I won. I won. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, you we won. should have a drinking game. Oh, that should be next time. Anytime he mentions anything to the De Palma, we got a drink. <laughs> oh, I love that game. Okay, so y- y- you know what? My, it's not a And he has to swear. Oh, I have to swear. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We will make those rules now. next time about how many, <laughs> the, my penance and my punishment for mentioning De Palma. <laughs> but you know, something like the something like Untouchables where you have 
De Palma working on Mammoth Script, or like you were saying, Stuart Gordon with Edmund. Mm-hmm. I, I, as much as I love this movie, I'm thinking House of Games can, what would, what would this movie look like if it was early David Fincher pre the game? Yeah. But it's, it's, it's still not a discredit to David Mamet. It's just the fact that going back to Eric's thesis or, or approach that David Mamet ha- has a matter of fact way of directing. I don't think to me, that's not harmful or harmless. It's just, it's just telling the story in that manner of speaking. I don't mind it. I think that version of Mamet when it's just shoot the shot and, and as competently as possible, it really works on a movie like Spartan. The movie is called Spartan. Okay. So it has to have a very terse and concise way of looking at things. And I was watching Spartan a little bit the other day, just clips of it. And I go, wow, this is a really cool David Mamet film. I think he, I think ultimately as a director, I think it's a, a discredit to me as a viewer that I don't consider him as more of a, of a filmmaker. I think I really need to, from these two movies, I, I really need to dive deeper into his directing work. But I also think it's a credit to him as a writer that you go, well, it's just, you, you go, oh, well, it's kind of like Paul Schrader, but Paul Schrader mm-hmm. is a little bit more elevated as a filmmaker. You go, well, you know, it's a David Mamet directed movie, but it's a Mamet screenplay. So we're just really focused on the script. And just, just I think we're, we're just saying, oh, let's just hope he, shoots it competently and i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but i think it's just because he's such a genius we just we overlook him as a director at least i do so i i might also add that and we we've talked about uh the movie tesla that would be an example of way too much style that doesn't serve yes. the movie at all in yeah. fact there's so much style that's to its detriment and great point um so I, I guess to, if you took something like House of Games, you would start getting diminishing returns the more, you know, out there you got. And so in, in that in that aspect, the more subdued, just say what's on the page, point the camera in the direction, say what's on the page. You're not gonna you're not gonna fuck it up, you know. That's if the true. scripts if the script script's good and you're doing, you know, just the the workmanship of it, you're not gonna fuck it up. Um, but I, I do, I do think there's kind of like a, a happy medium in there somewhere. Yeah, like I would say, like for example, he has a shot in there that's really cool that he could do a little more of, and it wouldn't be like crazy to do a few of these kind of things. But he has that shot where he kind of pans across with her as she walks through the bar. Yeah, you know, and it's not like super crazy, but it's stylish. And it shows you the setting, you know, it shows her walking through the setting and you see the people playing pool and you see the guy stand up against the bar. You see the little room to the side and then you see him come out and stand at the door. That's perfectly like works with the tone and the feel of what this movie is going for. And I think that kind of stuff I feel is pretty stylish and, and pretty interesting filmmaking. And that's the kind of thing I think you could see a little teeny bit more of in some of the scenes. Now, when it's the con man scenes, you keep them pretty snappy and pretty straightforward because your focus is so much on the action of what is occurring in those scenes. Yeah. You don't want to go crazy on those. It would be way too much. Um, I mean, you know what? The the story itself for house of games is excellent. I think I would, I would definitely give, I would give house of games a high recommend for people. If you are a fan of David Mamet's work as a writer Mm -hmm. and as a director, it's competently directed, well acted, obviously by Joe Mantegna um, and Lindsay Krauss and the ensemble. Eric Holmes, would you, is this, is House of Games upon your rewatch? Is this a high recommend for you as well? Oh, they they all are. Yeah. They all are. Even like as much as, you know, the, the thesis seems to be anti-mammit, which let's get this clear. It's not, I, I actually, I, I love him and I love all his movies, but yeah, they're, they're all high recommends. It, this is kind of, I don't know. It, it's, the whole thing's kind of a nitpick. We know he's great. You right. Know, we know he's a wonderful writer. This is kind of like a, you know, this is a nine out of 10. What could happen to make it a 10 out of 10? That That's kind of the, I guess the, uh, the thing or we're just, about. And we're also just talking about like, also like how would it change or would it be interesting to see other directors attack it too? You know, that's just kind of a different, like I said, like, you know, different interpretations of a piece of music, still good music, but how does this 
play it, you know. Did you guys read any of the weird um, trivia? I was going to bring them up before we leave. A couple of trivia pieces I thought was really interesting. One was, this is one of the, I just noticed as I was watching it this time, I think it's the third time I've seen it. I had never caught to me that it was in Seattle. And I lived in Seattle during the time this was made. I didn't even know it was made there until I saw it this time. And I was literally watching the movie going like, oh my God, that looks a lot like areas I've been in Seattle. And then as I was watching it more and more, it was. Um, and it's so funny because so many movies are supposed to be in Seattle and don't film in Seattle. I don't, did they ever mention that it was in Seattle in this movie? Never. I don't recall. And I, it has so many real Seattle locations. It, it's incredible. So it's more real locations in Seattle than I've seen any other movie. And all the other Seattle movies are all shot in you know, Vancouver with like the Space Needle in one shot or something. So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Another thing I read that was really interesting. So Ricky J obviously knows a lot of these cons. And in this one thing I read, it said that David Mamet asked him to demonstrate the con. And specifically, there's a con with a, um, an envelope that we see on a street. And he's yes. demonstrating something. And Ricky J said, well, I still know people who run these cons. I cannot show you the con for real. Because if I did, this is their livelihood. So he made up that con that we see. So that is a different, like a variation on probably a real con, but that's his version of the con that's that you amazing. see with that, that envelope is. on the street. And the little subtext they did in the little trivia I read was that after the movie, some people tried to do that con and got caught because it didn't work as well. So <laughs> I thought that was super interesting. So if you watch this movie, look for the envelope con and you'll know that that was made up by Ricky J for the movie. So yeah, I, I, that's pretty cool, but I don't know how I feel about that. I, I, guess, <laughs> if, I guess if you're going to fall for it, then you get what you got coming to you. But at the same time, <laughs> here's how to spot a rapist. Well, no, don't tell them that because there's people yeah. that make their livelihood on that. It's like, yeah, it, 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 if it wasn't, but, if it wasn't someone taking advantage of someone. That, but doesn't I, that kind of jive with Ricky J? You always feel like, oh yeah kind of one foot in the world too you know so yeah. you're not, you're I, not. And, and i i can't be too mad because I, I do love ricky j rest in peace <laughs> Dude, and, and meant to mention this earlier but uh greg mentioned his amazing voice like people talk about uh, yeah. uh, uh morgan freeman as they should morgan freeman's got a wonderful voice but uh ricky j is such a wonderful talker he's got a great voice and and his patter when he does uh and actually david mamet uh directed this ricky j and his 52 assistants mm -hmm. his uh magic show oh. I, like i'm not even watching his hands do the magic trick i'm just staring at him going uh-huh and then what happened like just listening to his pattern and his, his talking is just mesmerizing one of the great storytellers love that guy yeah, yeah well oh, but, but I, I also wanted to bring up uh, um, a scene. This is from State and Maine. We haven't talked much about Red Belt, and I'm bringing up State, State and Maine. But there's a uh, a great part in that where uh, uh, Alec Baldwin is drunk driving, and he flips the car over. <laughs> and the camera's just right there. It's got the uh, – Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I can't remember who else, just standing there, and they're just watching this. And then – Alec Baldwin comes out of the he goes out of the red car and just walks up, looks at them, looks back and go, So that happened. And they just <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. That was that's a that, great, great that, scene. That, that that's a great example of this is exactly what the scene needs. No no fluff, no show. It's just put the camera there. It's all on the page. And that I could not see that scene working any better than it did. Um Yes, State in Maine. I remember actually doing that press junket. I, I got to see that movie once again. Before we get into Red Belt, I just wanted, I just wanted to make a recommendation. Okay, and I I'm, I haven't read it yet, but during this podcast, I was listening to about Mamet and his own influences as a writer coming up in Chicago. Okay, obviously he was born in Chicago, Illinois. He's a Chicagoan, even though he lives now in L.A. with his wife Rebecca Pigeon. He recommended he was one of the many writers he recommended and one of the writers I'm, I'm reading now, Ben Hecht, screenwriter, Ben Hecht. He came out with a book. He was talking about this book called Mammoth was 1001 afternoons in Chicago written by Ben Hecht. And it's a compilation of more than 60 columns written for the Chicago daily news during Hecht's run as a journalist before he became a award-winning screenwriter. So hmm. I, 
I don't know if I, I, I haven't read the book yet, but that's what Mamet is recommending. I actually went to my, um, my library online and I borrowed another book from Ben Hecht and it's really crisp writing. And I can see, I can imagine a younger Mamet reading a lot of those Chicago beat writers from the early 1920s, 1930s, and just, just honing that craft from that, that journalism space and then how that actually influences him as a playwright and as a screenwriter as well, and how it carried him on throughout his life. So, and what's interesting about Ben Hecht, I was reading that short story, is not only was he a great journalist, I mean, he has, he has his story, and he's, the, the only story I read from Ben Hecht was how he, when he was a journalist working, I think it's Chicago Tribune, one of the Chicago papers, he wanted to, ref- and this is, a semi, I, this, I guess it's an autobiographical short story. He's talking about how he wanted to reform a prostitute that he was really in love with. So he has her live with him. She, he has her live with him for a while. And, uh, and they can't make the rent. They live in a small little place in Chicago, overlooks the river. And I think this is like maybe somewhere in the, before the 1920s. And he's talking about her in vivid sensual detail around that time and how but he also called her an angel but ultimately the story goes on and says well they were they couldn't make ends meet so he actually had his girlfriend former prostitute pretend she was actually a writer and she she ended up working at the same paper as he did as a journalist (laughs) and what ben heck did this guy was such an amazing writer and it speaks to david mamet's prolific nature ben heck actually doubled his, his uh, article oh, output man. and pretended she was the writer. So she had bylines, wow. he had bylines and they were trying, they still couldn't make ends meet. Ultimately, the, the, ultimately the story ends with he, uh, he ends up taking a night job. And during the span of him uh, leaving her in the apartment, she ends up in the newspaper office uh, canoodling with a whole bunch of other journalists. So, but it's, <laughs> oh, no. it's told in the Hectian style, not in the Greg Shrizavosti style. So it's a lot more interesting. So imagine <laughs> if listeners, if you're a fan of David Mamet's films, if you want to learn how to become a writer, Eric Holmes was saying, start listening to Mamet, maybe reading a lot of his books. But if you also want to go a little bit before Mamet and see what got him going, look up Ben Hecht. H-E-C-H-T, the book that Mamet recommends is 1001 Afternoons in Chicago. Okay, now we are on to Red Belt. I love House of Games. I have seen, I saw Red Belt when it was released. I did the press junket. I was a little bit mixed when I saw that movie back in, what, 2008? I enjoyed it. But then at the end of the movie, I said, you know, this movie to me was about the MMA and, and jujitsu and Mamet is so passionate about jujitsu and I'm assuming MMA. I was a little bit mixed on, on, on and I goes, ah, it's good. It's a good movie, but I, I was expecting more in 2008. I saw it again the other night and I was blown away at how much I absolutely fell in love with Red Belt. I am going to track this down on Blu-ray and I'm going to buy it. I really, really love Red Belt. Eric Holmes, you were saying this is a tail end of Mamet as a director for cinema. He's done cable stuff since then. What you, You've seen it a lot of times. Why have you seen it a lot? Of, do you love this so much? You were saying it's his best output as a director? That's a lot to say. Uh, probably. It, it's definitely my favorite of, of his. And I, uh, Well, first of all, this was the first movie that introduced me to Chiwet. Chiwetel Ejiofor, and I still probably butchered his name. Chiwetel Ejiofor. Chiwetel Ejiofor. This was the first time, probably not the first time I seen him, but the first time I noticed him. And I watched it and I go, I fucking love that guy. And uh, it's been a wonderful romance ever since. (laughs) I I love the uh, idea of this is, and to bring up Edmund again, this is the antithesis of Edmund. Edmund thinks the world owes him something and he's waiting for the world to pay him back, he, you know, uh, do what he thinks is right. Chuatel Ejiofor is constantly not getting shit on, but he's uh, he has very strict code of conduct and he lives that even to his own detriment. And I think that's what makes him a good protagonist to root for because you want him to succeed because he deserves to. And, but you know, things don't always quite work out the way. And look, he could, he could, uh, he could balk on his, his own morality, 
um, even just a little bit and no one would judge him for it. But even that little bit is just too much for him. He's not going to do it. And then, well, I don't know if we want to spoil it, but uh, he gets uh, the, the last scene really touched me. The, yeah. Yeah. Here you go. Very, yeah. Uh, because uh, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> the, the, the movie earned, not only does the movie earn it, but the character earns it. He, you know, it, you know, just holds your pants up, but it's not about the, it's not about the thing. It's what the thing means. And that, it, that movie just really touched me. And I, it even goes all the way back right from the beginning when I, they're doing the sparring and uh, he's like, improve the position improve the position and that's kind of uh that's kind of the driving force of the the whole movie it's just improve the position and he tries he tries he can't quite get it. he's getting his ass kicked improve the position and uh you know he's not he's not improving his position in life he's improving his morality and eventually that pays off for him even though he gets his ass kicked pretty much throughout mm, okay um kind of spoiler alert towards the end but it's it's a it's not i'm kidding it's not really a spoiler alert but uh, you know before we get to you bruce a uh, quick plot synop- plot synopsis chuatel edgio four plays mixed martial arts instructor mike terry he runs at school uh with his wife played by alice braga i like to call her because of alice guy blaché i'm just gonna call her alice braga <laughs> because she's very good as sandra terry the wife of Mike Terry. The thing with Mike Terry is he's a warrior. He has, like Eric Holmes says, a code of conduct. Sandra Terry, his wife, she has, she understands. I'm sure she understands his, his warrior code mentality. She married him. She's in love with him. But she comes from a Brazilian family that they are steeped into the world of jujitsu and MMA. And they have a, his, a family uh, steeped in that history, but they're also a business kind of family as well they 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 want to actually cap monetize mma and and fighting and everything and that makes sense mamet mamet actually shows us two ways to go about living you know it's it's through a scene through the mma sometimes it's a business but will you decide is it is it about money or is it actually about keeping your moral code or can you actually mix the two also in the movie is um emily mortimer she plays an attorney laura black through, I'm not going to really spoil it, through a, through a gunshot and maybe a broken window, she enters the life of Mike Terry and Mike, one of, and Mike Terry's best friend, Joe Collins. Joe Collins is a police officer played by Max Martini. And I, Max Martini is fantastic in this movie, by the way. Upon second rewatch, I, I, upon a rewatch, I, I forgot how good he was in Red Belt. He plays Joe Collins, the best friend of Mike Terry, and also Mike Terry's student. What I did not, what I completely forgot, when I saw Red Belt, I was thinking, I was looking for the mammoth speak, and I was looking for a lot of MMA action, and I was looking for some awesomeness from, from – um, Tim Allen, who plays an actor, an entitled actor mm-hmm. who comes in the crosshairs of Mike Terry, you know, and who's actually the benefit of Mike Terry's good Samaritan slash warrior actions. I was expecting a little bit more action when I saw it in 2008. Now, 2020, I, like Eric, was really moved at all the layers that was explored in Red Belt. I, I just think this is a master stroke uh, from David Mamet. Bruce, what do you think of Red Belt? Did did it hit you differently? Because you, this I, is the first time you've seen it. This is the first time I've seen it. Yep, I've never seen this movie before. I am probably in a mixed bag on this one. I think that for me, I have some big problems with the plot. I have, I, I, I there's some. It's really impossible to talk about without spoiling things, so I can't really do it. There's some massive coincidences that occur. And maybe I'm just not quite getting it all because I feel like there's some of it is machinations that is being done on purpose to a character in this movie. But some of it, I also was like, well, he met that person in a bar, just happened to meet that person in a bar. So later on, he could find out what that person was doing. <laughs> like there's things like that that happened in this movie that really bugged me and pulled me out of it. And I would have followed it more in a movie like house of games where everyone is playing games the whole time. But here the idea is that some of the people aren't playing games and it's just chance. And then other places they are playing games. And then I was like, okay, well that, that I understood because that person was playing a game. There's a thing with a watch, which I loved Mm. and I understand what was going on there and where there's a confrontation about the watch. Then somebody says, I'll be right back. And they don't come right back. Those kind of things 
were awesome because I knew that stuff was going on and it was unfolding, but there's other scenes, like I said, where I was like, okay, that, that I have to, I have to buy a real level of chance there to, to, to buy into that. So this might be one of those where I have to get the second view to get that part. Now, all that being said, all the other stuff is I'm right on board with. So the opening scene is fantastic where you're just, just how you set up. Um, what's his name again? Uh, Terry, Mike Terry's like yeah. his ethos and his, his, you know, his, training style and what he's going for and kind of his whole philosophy and seeing it with the guy that he's training and how that guy is kind of like, is he ready for it yet? And kind of how he plays out in the story was really great. And I did have a little bit of a problem too with the wife. There's some things that happened with the wife that I felt was underwritten. Like I didn't understand fully some things that happens with her as it goes along. I didn't feel like it was quite earned. I feel like something happens with her later on and like, oh, she did this. And I'm like, really? That kind of came out of nowhere. I thought that came too quickly. But like almost like there was a s- scene left out. But Interesting. That's what, me. What, 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 part are, what, what part are you talking about with that? The wife makes a turn towards the end of the movie. Her okay. attitude, I'll just say her attitude changes. Okay. All right. And to me, that didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel like, we had gone to that point in this movie, but I'll, I'll say without spoiling anything, it's in there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I know what you're talking about, but it, yeah. it's in there. Um, and and I, I will fully own that. I might've missed some stuff too. Yeah. Like there were some twists and things that I saw, but there might've been some stuff that was set up that I didn't quite catch that. If I saw it again, I'd be like, Oh, 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 it's right there. Okay. I was yeah. just, um, I didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. Cause you've seen it 10 times or whatever. You probably know. So, yeah. Um, but I will yeah, say that- this though. I, oh, okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just say the word shit house because I'm gonna <laughs> Brian De Palma's name. <laughs> By the way, shit house. In is a two very episodes. Good movie. <laughs> shit house is a very good movie, but I am going to say something. This is a movie that would be perfect for Brian De Palma to Bruce's point because there's so many inciting events, balls juggling up in the air. There's so many subplots that can get confusing, and if they use someone like Brian De Palma for oh all God. of the those Brian De Palma shots with where everything split screens and stuff. No, there's not split screens where every, you know, 10 different <laughs> things come converge and come together. And, and it just conge- you know, th- those kind of moments, I think it would, it would have made a really interesting movie, but, but I think this is one of those movies where I feel the insular approach and focused approach of David Mamet really worked for Red Belt. If they had someone like, I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, like a De Palma or a Fincher or one of these A-list or yeah. talented direct, this felt like it really came out of the bloodstream of David Mamet. Just because he it feels like he knew MMA, it feels like he knows the sacrifices that a guy like Mike Terry is going. Look, and... Obviously, the movie is not just about MMA. It's about Mamet's own no. experiences in Hollywood. Yeah, we, see, we, get, we get the symbolism. It's not, it's not so overwrought and obvious to make us go, oh, come on, man. It's, it's subtle enough. Not subtle. It's, it's out there, but I, I still bought it. I was still, still cool with it. Eric, um, your thoughts. Do you think this was a perfectly directed film from Mamet? This is like no one else could have directed it because it felt like a personal story as far as... I- I don't know that no one else could have directed it, but I do think that this is probably, uh, well, for me, it's it's between this and State and Maine. As far as his directed movies are probably his best directed movies. And especially this one, because like I've enjoyed every Mammoth movie I've seen. I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen most of them. And this was the one, and we'll go back to that last shot. That's the only David Mammoth movie whether he just wrote it or written and directed that um, hit me emotionally mm-hmm. because, I, because I understood, I understood the journey that the character went on and what it means for him at that final shot. And it, uh, well, I can't think of another, one, might, might be one of the movies that uh, might, might be one of the reasons why I like the movie so much. I can't think of another man movie that has, uh, once again, not spoiling it, that has that final progression like oh, the yeah. way that final scene progresses is a totally different type of ending than I can think of in anything that I've ever seen by Mammoth. Once again, you've probably seen more Mammoth than I have, but that's a type of ending I haven't really quite come across. 
Yeah, I, we have to be so vague. I actually want to ask you a bunch of questions now because it's stuff I'm not understanding. I'm like, God. what if uh, Emily Mortimer character? I really want. I know, guys. Was I reading the movie wrong, Eric? When I was telling, you, I was really moved by the movie. I thought this was a movie was not about Mike Terry's journey as a warrior and as a person who had a certain code and a love for his fellow human being. I thought it, the movie was about his brother-in-law, Bruno Silva, and how his dreams were shattered because he really needed to make all that money for his family. Yeah. That's all that we were try- they were trying to do. They were trying to market a, a great idea from their layabout brother who didn't want to make a lot of money. I just thought at the end, and he slowly sees that his brother-in-law walk away from him and just shatter his dreams and the dreams of his family at, at the expense of, of their master teacher who probably could have used the bends or rolls at, at his respective domicile as well. Don't you think it, it, this payola scam was uh, the fact that it would, it was uh, shattered. Did I read yeah. the wrong, did I read red belt? Uh, oh no, that was it. Exactly. Actually, <laughs> The, the weird thing is that this isn't so much like a, a character journey of uh, Terry growing. He's already grown. He has he has his uh, ethos and his morals. It's just uh, now he's got to put it to the test. So it, it's not so much I'm I'm learning to become this thing. He's already that thing. But now though, as he's do, being that thing, the world's testing him. It's like, you got your thing, let's test it. Let's uh, put your feet to the fire and see if you can uh, hold true to that. And he, and he does, spoiler alert, but he does. It's, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of that classic hero's journey sort of a thing in some ways, if you think about it. I mean, yeah, he has a little to bit. kind of, yeah. There's I have a feeling. Partway through, maybe. <laughs> I have a feeling, going back to Possessor Uncut, I have a feeling if Eric and I were in a theater and we saw Possessor Uncut again, he and I would, we've said this, he and I would like it more, a little bit more, Okay. And I have a feeling, Bruce, you don't have time because we're, we're doing a podcast and we have to watch new movies and churn out content, you know, get, keep on watching movies. But down the road, <laughs> need to, I just need to I just need to ask some questions to Eric, because there's some things that are bugging me. I have a feeling that I'm I, he knows the answers to. Oh, these. Very cool. Oh, and there's some things, several times. Yeah, I need to ask him some stuff about Emily Mortimer's character, like how she encounters there, like. Uh, I, I want to know. Okay, I'm not going to say anything. And oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> say it now. I'm curious. Okay, now Red no. Belt. Red Belt again is not streaming like House of Games. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. These are all rental movies. That, you know, I I rent. You know, just rent it on iTunes or whatever, whatever yeah. service you you rent. They're both worth renting. Again, I would say if you were personally. Uh, Bruce, let's go, let's go with you. Which out of the two, do you, are these both recommends as far as rentals or? I would or say we- this is a this is a mild recommend, but I would say that I could be on the wrong end of the stick on this a little bit. I'm kind of in the middle level on this one, but I, I would say it's definitely recommend because there's a, there's way more good than than bothered me in this one. So I'm you know what I mean? Like I'm leaning that way. Whereas House of Games, I would fully recommend with the only caveat being that some people get past that first 10 minutes or so where it's just her and get into the story and then you'll, you'll be off to the races, but both are recommends. Go ahead. Cool. And yeah, Red Belt to me is a high recommend. I actually would recommend it even more than house of games. House of games should have been a movie that should be right up my alley being a fan of film noir suspensers, twist driven stuff. I house of games is a, and to me, Red Belt is a plus 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 because of that hero's journey the res i completely missed the boat the first time i saw it in 2008 bruce let, let me suggest something i think house of games is a better first watch because the twists affect you more sure whereas i think second and third watch it may not catch you as much so i think they're kind of flipped i think you probably get more out of red belt as you go because you kind of get past the twists and you can kind of get into the depths whereas house of games is a lot about the twists so once the twists are kind of there you kind of miss a little bit Maybe maybe something there. Yeah, you know, good point. Good point. Eric, I guess with you, it's, it's an obvious rent these movies or get these movies <laughs> on physical media as possible. Right, Eric? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I was also thinking of, uh, um, I guess this comes full circle. Uh, House of Games, you know, is I, it, from my perspective uh, as a director, kind of cold. You know, it's got its style, but it's kind of point the camera here, point the camera there. And for me, Red Belt was a lot more emotional. So maybe that's uh, David Mamet taking his own advice. 
just does house of games and then does the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and just keep working and keep working. And eventually he's going to get, go from here to here because that's what happens when you, with repetition. Good point. Maybe just, he just took his own advice and throughout, uh, through, uh, hard work and perseverance, he finally got good at a thing. I mean, it takes a lot to, to really go, to go for that vulnerable spot towards the end of the movie without giving, Mm-hmm. too much away okay that is our spotlight on david mamet before we go we gotta we gotta wrap up with you eric well actually before we wrap up with you eric let's bruce final thoughts on mr david mamet just in general thoughts anything come come in your head right now um i i would say like eric said definitely as far as like as a writer if you're interested in writing at all definitely delve very very deep into mamet and especially in his ethic of how to write and like, you know, just freeing yourself up to write. But I would say, I feel like there's a lot of, I think a lot of newer film watchers that maybe haven't delved, especially into some of his directing work and delved deeper into his work. So I would say, go back and look into some of it. There's some amazing stuff there. And he's always been really um, strangely relevant. I guess I would say he's always writing about, what is happening in the world, but he's doing it in a really interesting, dramatic way and not a preachy way. Usually it's, it's very, he's kind of ahead of the game on that. So and he, doesn't pan, he doesn't pander. He, he's not, yeah, a pander. he does it through the action he shows, but, but if you look at him, you're like, Oh, well, obviously there's stuff going on there that was happening at the time or happening now. So I think that there's a really interesting, there's interesting levels to be found with his work that people might kind of underestimate. So Yes, I, I underestimate, I continue to underestimate David Matt. You, by the way, Eric, you, you saw, you've seen The Winslow Boy, correct? You have seen The Winslow Boy? No. Oh. <laughs> I haven't either. <laughs> you haven't either. Well, you know, I'm not going to tell you guys to go see The Winslow Boy because I haven't seen Uncle Peckerhead. I haven't seen Rosemary's <laughs> Baby. I haven't seen Goonies. I haven't seen a whole bunch of Friday the 13th. So I'm not going to recommend you guys see The Winslow Boy. But The Winslow Boy is a very, Eric, if you see the Winslow Boy, mind blown. I, I guarantee your mind will be. And Bruce, you're going to really appreciate the Winslow Boy as well. Streaming, I believe, right now on Amazon Prime Video. Last thing on, on David Mamet for me is I'm so glad I was able to see both movies, especially Red Belt. I can't believe how good and underrated. And this is, look, Bruce, I don't think this, this is a one, one movie that has not really been seen. Because House of Games oh, yeah, had its sure. time in the sun. Red Belt maybe had its time in the sun for MMA enthusiasts or maybe the select David Mamet enthusiasts. But now, 12 years later, it's still a relevant movie. It doesn't feel dated whatsoever. Excellent performances. And mm-hmm. I hate to say it, I, I blame Eric Holmes. Because of getting and researching David Mamet, I have started Right, reading a lot more, and I think I'm gonna start reading more Ben Hecht. I'm gonna read. I might even read uh, David Mamet's last novel for 2018. It's called Chicago, a novel. I can't wait to start reading. You'd think with someone like Aaron Sorkin, with all that interesting dialogue, that would inspire me. I I really love the yeoman's work of David Mamet. The fact that he's from Chicago and he he's really interested in that era of writing the Chicago journalist. I, it just really latched on to me. So I think I'm, I'm going to be continuing to go into a uh, dive deeper into the world of David Mamet, Ben Hecht and everything like that. So we're going to end last, but definitely not least Eric Mamet Holmes, find your film final say on David Mamet. Well, I uh, will just uh, give you advice that perhaps he would, if you want to do a thing, whether it's writing, painting, drawing, music, whatever, uh, it's going to suck. Do your thing, finish it, and let it suck. And then from there, improve the position. Improve the position. Improve the position. That, that's a very, you know, if you listen to, if you please watch Red Belt, you will understand that very resonant last speech from Eric Holmes, Eric Mamet. Unfortunately, as soon as he says improve the position, I've had that nightmare of every single woman telling me the same darn thing. <laughs> For the last 30 years of my life. <laughs> and that's why I'm single Craig, and have no kids, folks. <laughs> improve the position. There's uh, always an escape. Don't worry. There's always an escape. You know the escape. <laughs>
there's a, yeah. You know, unfortunately, what's uh, what's uh, the deleted scene is please leave the room, please leave the room. Okay, so anyways, no, but in all in all honesty, improve the position. Very important uh, words from Red Belt. I Bruce, do you 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 do you have sort of an inkling of an idea who you might pick in two weeks? Don't mention the name, but are you are there names banding about your head? I'm not going to say what it is. Okay. All right. I might have to confer with Eric Mamet before I uh, make a final decision. Oh, it's Michael Eric. Bay. No go. No go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In a couple of weeks, it'll be Bruce Perky's turn for the director's spotlight on Find Your Film. We have now finished our David Mamet stuff. You know, we're, this is a guy we're going to definitely, uh, for our weekly recommendations, and maybe down the line, we're going to probably revisit the work of David Mamet. He's done so much. I think the Winslow boy is going to pop up soon. Yeah. Oh, oh. I'm telling you, it blows my mind. All right, guys, we will see you next week for Find Your Film. It is late in the evening, especially for my good buddies, Eric Mamet and Glenn Perky. They have to go. I have to go. And again, what what are we supposed to improve, Eric? The position and find the escape. (laughs) All right, guys, we'll see you next week.